yeah, I did decide I was going to have a year of fears, I remember, a year of fears, and I was going to do anything that scared me because um, I really, it was a control thing, I must say, because I didn't want to be controlled by fear. Those icky places are massive opportunities for growth. When we push up against those icky, uncomfortable places, you know that feeling, and when you lean into that, we open these doorways to, you know, amazing levels of growth. That was Sarah Seeds, and this is episode four of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Sarah Seeds is an accomplished trail ultra runner and athlete who seeks all forms of adventure. She was a pioneer in the outdoor fitness movement in the Comox Valley with the creation of her company, Equilibrium Lifestyle Management. She has been changing lives ever since. Over the years, her business and her sense of purpose has evolved as much as she has. Her training includes exercise science, sports psychology, sociology, mind-body medicine, yoga and meditation, and more. Her quest for adventure, knowledge, and self-awareness has led her to a place where she is now a passionate mind-body coach who combines the art and science of both kinesiology and hypnotherapy to help her clients become the people they wish to be. Please join me as we have a conversation with Sarah Seeds. Sarah, so welcome to our podcast. It's really great to have you on today. Um, How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Thank you. Yes, I'm doing really good. How are you ladies doing today? We're so excited to talk with you. Yes, it's uh, it's been a while that we've wanted to uh, record this episode with you and catch up. It's been far too long since I've had a chance to chat with you. So let's just have a great conversation about all things related to running and life. Sounds awesome. So happy to be here. Thanks so much for thinking of me, guys. Okay, so just to kind of kick us off and help our listeners get to know uh, you and the type of runner that you are on a, an informal level, I'm going to ask you a couple fun kind of questions where you just choose one or the other. So not much thought needed. I want to know, do you prefer inside or outside? Outside, please. Do you prefer road or trail? Trail, please. High socks? Or ankle socks? Depends on the terrain, but high socks, I guess if I have to pick one, offer more protection from the mighty bushwhack. Trucker hat or visor? Trucker hat all the way. Buff or bandana? I have to say the buff. I think it's a little more versatile. Mind you, the bandana can be used as a triangular bandage in case of emergency, (laughs) I was thinking. Or perhaps a tourniquet, but I have used a uh, buff for a tourniquet, so I'm going to go with that one. Uphill or downhill? Uphill comes to mind, I'm, and it's, it's, that's got to be from the mental training I've been doing because if, well, you know me, Kim, I, I'm a downhiller, but uphill, I'm choosing uphill. Okay, see, that surprises me because I know how much you rock downhill running. But anyways, awesome. Okay, handheld or a pack vest for water? Definitely a vest. I like my hands free. Me too. And sunrise or sunset? 
sunrise. I love them both, but there's just nothing like the dawn of a new day where anything's possible. So I'm going with sunrise. All right. So we have this picture in our head of this trucker hat, high socks, buff wearing runner, charging up a mountain or a major hill to beat the sunrise to the top. Does that sound about right? Sounds amazing. Maybe now I'm going to have to do that tomorrow morning. Thanks for the suggestion. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Sarah, you've had a very colorful past and worn many, many different hats. Runner is just one of the things that you can call yourself. But let's talk a little bit about your start in running and your earliest memories of running. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looked like? Sure. Yeah, this image comes to mind right away. I was at elementary school in Victoria, probably like grade four or something, grade three or four, um, when I started doing the sprints, track and field. And I guess that's where it all started. Um, and, uh, well, quite an evolution from there to the hundred K or more distance, but yeah, I was, I was a hyper kid and, uh, fast, I guess, and relatively. And so they threw me on the track and field team. That's sort of where it all began elementary school. Awesome. And did you like, did you compete in, in track and field through into middle school and high school? Yeah. Yeah. Right through high school, just, uh, 100, 200 and four by one. Um, yeah, it really wasn't until second year university that I, that I ran anything much past that. I was a, uh, team sport athlete in addition to track and field. So played all the sports with a passion for field hockey, which I played at uh, UVic, Junior Varsity Field Hockey. And so just sort of sprints and conditioning around the block up until uh, sort of second year university when I got into um, firefighting. That's when I first started doing longer distance. Tell us more about that. How did firefighting get you into longer distance time on feet? Yeah, it's kind of, it doesn't seem like it goes together. But um, well, first of all, when when we... uh, got into the program, uh, I got into the rap attack program, which is the repel program based at a salmon arm as a forest firefighter. And, um, we had heard these rumors that they were going to, you know, try to destroy us at boot camp. We had this weeks of conditioning and training to do. And, uh, we had heard, yeah, just these horror stories that they were going to try to kill us with these early morning workouts. And, and so I wanted to make sure I was ready and uh, I remember recruiting a friend of mine who was a, a more of an endurance athlete. He was on um, both the um, he was on the rowing team, the varsity rowing team. That's right. And uh, so he had some good cardio, and and he was running the Elk Lake Loop in Victoria, which was a massive ten kilometers. And I thought, you know, if I can get around that loop, I can do anything that they're going to throw at me at firefighting. So I remember that was my big goal to feel like I was ready for boot camp and that 10k almost killed me but I just I felt like I had run a marathon I remember that and uh, when we showed up for training it was a bit of a surprise the very first run they took us on at sunrise was a 14k mountain run um, in the the ski hill the larch hills area of salmon arm 
And uh, none of us, most of us have never seen anything like it. You know, you're, you're out there for a couple of hours and, you know, you're, we felt, you know, our dro- job was on the line and it was sort of life or death. No one ever, no one wanted to get left behind. And that was a real eye opener for what endurance running could be. So, yeah, that was sort of the intro. And it was a great activity to do um, as a firefighter over the next few years, five years or so, because often you'd be on standby and want to get some conditioning in, but not have access to any, anything but your sneakers. And so I learned to love it as, as training time and quiet time on my own while we were, uh, in between fires. So really your, um, jump from sprints to longer distances was right away on trails. Like you were right away out on the mountainside running. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sometimes we'd be country roads, um, but usually, usually lots of trails. And then I guess I started getting into, I did a couple of half marathons um, on the road around that time as well. So this was after university or was this during university that you worked as a forest firefighter? It was, it started during, and then I did a couple of years after I graduated as well. Yeah. So all in that early twenties. You know, obviously fighting forest fires um, taught you some, you know, some skills and some lessons that you took with you forward into your next phases of life. You um, uh, got into multi-sport adventure racing, I know, and uh, became a business owner right out of university, uh, took the leap to, to become an entrepreneur. So tell us a little bit more about what happened after university and kind of what direction your, your sporting life took you. You got that right about adventure racing. So got into multi-sport or adventure racing after university. Um, and really that was after um, I retired, quote unquote, from Rap Attack, which is, it was challenging because that was such a big, um, big passion of mine, a big part of my life. And so there was a bit of a gap there, you know, a bit of um, a gap in, in me realizing, you know, my needs and, and, and feeling fulfilled. And, and so adventure racing really helped, helped fill that gap because there's a lot of the same components. You're working with a team. It's very physically demanding. You're in, you know, you can be in remote, rugged terrain. There's navigation. There's, yeah, challenges you have to work through together. Um, and yeah, it was super fun. So uh, I did more and more endurance that way. And to me, it was just fun and adventure. But you know, along the way, there was obviously uh, quite a bit of fitness going along with that. But that sort of uh, trended me towards the longer distance events. So adventure racing is obviously everybody's talking about it. It's all the buzz right now, now that Eco Challenge Fiji has come out on Amazon Prime and mm-hmm. um you know it's it's kind of the the sexy new thing to be talking about so and it's not really new it's been around for a long time but um what kind of things did you enjoy most about adventure racing like what disciplines or what aspects to the racing did you really love because I know you did it for many years yeah well I guess it would be um the adventure of it you know the not knowing the surprises, like we know so much in our day to day, right? There's so much known on our on our paths that we take day in and day out. So I really like that, the unknown and um, problem solving. You know, I love 
overcoming uh, problems and turning pro- or and turning problems into solutions and overcoming challenges. And to do that with a team was really fun, even though I did a lot of sprint races on my own in the end, because I liked that additional challenge of just relying on myself and having to hone all the different um, disciplines. But yeah, navigation for sure is my passion, as well as the adventure and being in these, you know, pristine, beautiful, remote wilderness places, and really testing, you know, the body mind, um, which you need both to be able to complete those, those epic distances. It sounds like multi-sport trail ultra runners really are drawn to the unknown, whereas road runners often like to know everything. They like to predict their time right down to the second oftentimes. And I find that distinction between the two really, really fascinating. And I'm wondering if you can talk to us about the mental side of training and how you embrace the surprises, the unknowns, the fact that you go into these races knowing full well that you're going to be challenged in ways that you can't even predict? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, well, it's all perspective, isn't it? And, and um, looking forward to those, uh, those um, things, looking at, at them as opportunities, the challenges as opportunities um, to test yourself, to, tr- to develop new skills, and um, whether or not you overcome that specific problem um, is almost irrelevant, but having the opportunity to try and to develop those new skills. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think, you know, wonder and um, curiosity, like they're human, it's human nature, you know, we're born explorers. So, you know, that's how we get to the point we get to exploring and crafting and creating and adapting to changing environments. Um, but yeah, I, I do see what you're saying about the distinction between the two and there's challenge, there's challenges in both and it's all perspective. I think which one sort of stimulates you and which one excites you. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's a critical and important reframe often with the biggest challenges we face, not just in running, but in life as well we get in our own way because we're clinging to the way we wish it would be or the way we plan for. But I really hear that you're coming at it from a different perspective in terms of that curiosity, that wonder, that surprise. And I just think it's such an underutilized secret weapon that people could bring into their lives if they were willing to approach their everyday problems with that kind of a mindset. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a huge flip. If we switch fear into curiosity, it, like if you imagine a scenario that's happening in your life right now, from fear to curiosity, boom, completely changes the experience. Like on a cellular level, it feels different through every cell in your body. Yeah, and we move towards that then rather than, you know, putting up the walls and moving away. So yeah, flipping it and also not being afraid of failure as a bad thing. Um, because there is, there are no guarantees just as in life. Um, but you know, when there's more variables at stake, then there's the guarantee can go down even more. So, so looking at the experience as an opportunity for growth, including 
quote unquote, I really don't like the word failure. I would call it, you know, experiences, however they turned out. Well, and I'm wondering, how are you in your everyday life with that? Like outside of your running life, how are you at bringing that same mindset into your business life or your personal life? Yeah, it's a practice. It's a practice. And over the years, you know, all the the mental training has, has been just that. And and ongoing, it, it continues to be a practice. And over time, some things become new habits and that's those new subconscious programs are installed and off you go and they don't require as much effort. But then there's, we all have our challenges where those mountains appear or we're in a certain state of mind or, uh, you know, ex, uh, excessive stress levels where those mountains maybe appear to be bigger than they are. And then, boom, you've got to bring in all those tools. But we have this beautiful massive toolbox just at our fingertips but like anything it requires practice yeah so for someone who may not identify as being mentally strong like that voice of self-doubt or criticism is really loud or they have trouble pushing through pain where would you start with them in order to kind of start developing their mental skill set hmm See, that's a perspective in itself. Like you said, someone who doesn't identify with being mentally strong, whereas every single human is. We wouldn't be here today if we weren't. And so first taking stock of, of that and even creating a, uh, an inventory, like you could call it a superhero inventory or a mental strength in inventory of all the times in your life where you did rally and you know you were faced with a challenge and you did overcome it, or you know you adapted, or you um, used your mind. Uh, you know whether or not it was a conscious choice, or you just jumped in and went for it. But to overcome a challenge, and when we start identifying those, then we we start noticing them more, and we start seeing our strengths. And really, it's like anything else. What we the mindset we practice, or what we look for in life, we see more of, right? And so, you know, look for, absolutely look for all those examples and start giving yourself a gold star every time you, um, you use the power of your mind, like look for them each day, journal at the end of the day, when did I use my mind to overcome an obstacle? And you start seeing, okay, I do have this skill. So that just popped into my, my mind right there um, as an initial tool for someone who maybe isn't identifying that way, because we all are, and it's just a perspective shift. And then all of a sudden you say, hey, wait a minute, I am a superhero using the power of my mind. And then the confidence builds from there. I love that. It's so true. Like whatever we pay attention to seems to appreciate and grow in our minds and in our reality. So it's almost like just scanning around your environment or your everyday life going like, where was I awesome today? Or what did I overcome? And again, like you say, it's a practice. It doesn't just happen automatically. And if you want to be able to fall back on these tools in challenging times, you have to have them honed in non-stressful times, you know, like in everyday life situations. Well, and Sarah, you have really made an effort to build resiliency within yourself over the years too. Like you have chosen <laughs> to, to, to take on challenges that you're terrified of. Like I'm thinking of, was it a 24-hour OCR challenge you, you oh, decided God. to do just because you were scared, terrified <laughs> of it? And, and um, you know, you, you've specifically um, 
chosen things that have put tools in your toolbox over the years and you haven't gotten to where you are overnight. Can you tell us a bit about that and some, some things that you have done and choices you've made over the years that have brought you to where you are now? Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's just been an evolution. I've always been fascinated by the power of the mind and I minored in, you know, sports psych. I focused a lot on sports psychology and sociology um, as part of my kinesiology degree, which is actually an arts degree. Uh, so it has, you know, I took quite a mix. So back then I was already quite curious and, and interested. Um, but the yeah, challenging, you know, to me, it's a fun, a really fun game. And when you start feeling and realizing the power of the mind, and when we actually devote even a small amount of time to practice and training, um, you know, using the different tools and techniques, and you see how that has such a powerful impact on your life, it's like, oh, wow, what else can I do? What else could I do? And I don't know what came over me that year. But yeah, I did decide I was going to have a year of fears. I remember the year of fears, and I was going to do anything that scared me. Because um, I really, it was a control thing, I must say, because I didn't want to be controlled by fear. Like, I just thought, you know, if I don't want that thing, that fear um, to, to have that power over me. So that just became my focus. You know, at the start of the year, you make a focus for the year. That was, that was mine that year. And so I jumped into to anything that made me um, cringe a little bit. And really, because at that point, as we all get to the realization at some point, those icky places are massive opportunities for growth. When we push up against those icky, mm-hmm. uncomfortable places, you know that feeling. And when you lean into that, we open these doorways to, you know, amazing levels of growth. And so that was sort of the the back um, the back story to that project, but yeah, that year I um, I did do Canada's toughest mutter um, in Whistler. It was a eight hour um, obstacle race. It started at midnight, <laughs> and if yeah, if you know me, I I had never seen an obstacle race before, like not even YouTube videos, and when I didn't really get it, I because I was into adventure racing, and I thought obstacle racing was just this, you know, made up little set and and it wasn't really an adventure. Well, you know, and it was something that that people did that didn't do adventure racing. And then I learned about what it was really all about from an an athlete that signed up to, to work with me, um, that I was coaching to, to train for a hundred K race alongside his obstacle racing. But I learned about the world's toughest mutter and these athletes are, I still think to this day, the most well-rounded athletes on the planet that, you know, they do over a hundred miles and with thousands of obstacles in a 24 hour period, wearing wetsuits and going through water. And anyway, so of course, as soon as I heard about this nightmare of a sport, I had to do it because it was my year of fears. <laughs> so I uh, signed up for the Canada's Toughest Mudder and I worked, I wanted to do it because I had a lot, a lot of fears in it. I don't like, I'm not a swimmer. I hate the cold. 
And I can't see at night. I have terrible night vision. <laughs> and at the time, I was a bit of a germaphobe. Sounds perfect for you. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit of a germaphobe. <laughs> and I thought it was the stupidest idea. So I had to do it. Anyway, I hired an amazing coach, Allison Tai. She's in Vancouver. And she was one of the world's best obstacle um, race athletes. And I secretly trained for the Canada's Toughest Mudder and didn't tell anyone I was doing it until it was done because I didn't know what was going to happen out there. And I, you know, the, the best thing that I learned out there was as soon as we started going, I realized like it's dark. I'm running an ultra marathon in a wetsuit and there's no music. I can't listen to my music like an ultra. There's no amazing views. There's like generators and mud and like big lights. Like I couldn't even wear my sunglasses when the sun came up in the day. Like all these little things that you use, like these, uh, these little tools, secret weapons you use for motivation and inspiration in an ultra were stripped away. And so the best part of that was not having any tools. I had to quickly develop new ones. So that was the biggest lesson in that in that it's good when you get your um, secret weapons, your motivation tools taken away from you because you're forced to develop new techniques. I want to hear a little bit more about your journey into ultra. So fast forward a little bit. Um, we know that you were supposed to be at Western States this year and got deferred to next year. Um, that's kind of the Boston Marathon of ultra running, really, if you wanted to compare it to anything in the road world. Um, but way back when you made that jump from 10K trails to ultra, tell us about your first ultra race and what inspired you to do it. Oh, well, I think I was just looking for a new challenge. You know, I always like to have a new challenge and I'd been doing adventure racing for quite some time. And it was also difficult to find partners. Like it's quite a resource intensive sport. And so I thought, hey, I'll do an ultra. And I was going to do the fat dog 80K and uh, in Manning Park, beautiful Manning Park. But that got canceled that year because we had a huge snowpack and they couldn't get through the trails. And so I was like, you know, the week before the race, I had done my training, I was ready to do my first ultra. And like the rest of us in the race, we felt ripped off. So I contacted the, uh, the fat dog and the death race, race directors and just asked them, hey, could you perhaps transfer us in? Because it was the next ultra that I knew of. Um, it just happened to be an extra 45 kilometers on top of what we had prepared for but they said yes sure you can come do the 125 kilometer death race in Grand Cache so that was my first ultra and it was awesome it was super super fun I remember you coming back from that race and that was my the very first ultra marathon that I had ever heard about even years before I met you was the death race and I couldn't conceive. I just could not conceive of the idea that somebody could run 125 kilometers, more or less up and down three mountains, carrying what they needed to on their back. It was, they called it the death race for a reason. I ended up doing it a few years after you did <laughs> and had probably just as much fun. But I remember just shaking my head thinking, who is this person that I call, you know, <laughs> a friend right beside me? But that wasn't it. Like you bit the bug and then you kept going. So that was shortly after that when we started, when you got me into it as well. 
what, how would you describe yourself as a runner now? Well, yeah, there's, I've been doing ultras for quite a few years now. Um, and I guess as a runner, how would I describe myself? I would describe myself as an adventurer and an explorer and a lover of nature. And really, that's why I'm out there, just to maximize and utilize and celebrate the gift of this amazing body while I can um, and have no regrets and uh, take full advantage of being able to locomote and get into these magnificent wild spaces, because really, that's what fills me up is um, is the, the beauty of nature and either on my own or sharing it with others. And so the ultras are a fantastic way to access new places. Um, and now, you know, mostly I race because uh, it, I don't have to deal with motivation. Like once I've signed up for a race, I'm just going to put the program together and I'm going to do it because there's always something else I can improve on. Oh, maybe I'll work on my climbing for this one or descending, whatever it is. And so that's one of the main reasons I race now. Um, it's also to, you know, get me out exploring other places, but really I enjoy sharing them. I'll very rarely sign up for a race now and go by myself, um, which I used to do and love doing. But um, now it's also important to me to have that as a shared experience. So yeah, as a runner, it's, it's for the love of it, for the gift of it. And um, yeah, for the pure joy. You certainly do have a way about you. Like, I don't really know you, but technically we have met when we mm. live when I lived out in the Comox Valley and I've seen you at races, but I have to say that you are a bit of a legend out there. Like <laughs> from the moment I arrived on the island, every runner that I met was like, oh my goodness, do you know Sarah Seeds? You have to meet Sarah Seeds. I took Sarah's running clinic. She's my trainer. She's the best trainer. And I think you just have that effect on people like your positivity is sort of infectious and I can definitely pick that up even in this conversation and I suspect that's what people that's what draws people to you so I just love that you're bringing other people along and I get that that's such an important aspect of what you love about running because if you can help someone else feel all of the good feels that you get from these adventures and these experiences I'm guessing it makes them grow exponentially for everyone. So I'm curious what kind of, I don't want to say mistakes, but when you're coaching new people in the multi-sport or ultra-endurance worlds, are there any patterns to the pitfalls that new people come up against? Mm-hmm. Well... I have a great blog post on that. I could share you the top three reasons endurance athletes fail to cross the finish line. There's definitely patterns. Um, so I guess I guess the top three, yeah, there's a hundred things that can happen out there, of course. But with with new athletes in particular, and sometimes we have to make the same mistakes a hundred times. Honestly, that's our journey. We've all been there. Um, but typically um, at the start for, for new endurance athletes um, would be the first one would be um, basically going somebody's el somebody else's pace. So starting too fast is like the number one that you see out there. And I think it's just, well, it's multi um, factored. Uh, it's hard to grasp actually being out there for as long as you're going to be because you don't actually run the 50K in your training and your brain is stuck kind of on the, 
the usual comfortable 20k pace and and so off you go and it's it's hard to sort of grasp that but i think that the main reason for that is getting caught up in the excitement and running somebody else's pace so like the pack goes and and rather than honing in and getting intuitive and listening to your body and sticking to the race plan it's like but it feels so good and adrenaline is surging through your body and so you know off you go and you feel great and of of course why would I go any slower you know I feel so awesome but as we know that catches up with us um six seven eight or more hours into an ultra distance event so I think that's that's the one of the top ones right? Um, is just going out too fast. Did you ever have to learn that mistake the hard way? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of a specific example. It's, I was more usually a conservative racer. So I would have the opposite problem. And there's a percentage of people that are over conservative and never actually reach their potential. Um, so that's, that can happen as well. And then, you know, never actually challenging yourself for fear of failure right? Um, so I think it can go one way or the other, but I think the more common one is, is just going out of the gates too quick. The second one would be not fueling on a schedule. So failure to take in enough um, of everything, water, calories, electrolytes, and same thing. We're so pumped up at the start. And sometimes you get, you know, pre-race anxiety and your belly doesn't even want to eat and you think why would I eat it's only been an hour it's only been two hours or you know I'm not thirsty at all it's cool but those few hours as we know at the start if we fail to to get in the the nutrients really come back to bite us and you can't make make it up after a certain point and and then also later stages when your belly and your legs are competing for for blood flow and it can get a little uncomfortable, um, it's tempting to stop fueling as well, um, even hydrating. And then as soon as you stop that schedule of fueling, it's just a matter of time until it's over. So like I've seen that one over and over again. It, that's That can be a challenging one for people to break the habit, but as soon as they start implementing that is a focus. It's night and day and you can feel so good. You can feel like a million bucks at the end of ultras. Really, you can. If you just keep getting those nutrients in, your body will just keep going. That's one of the biggest things that you taught me, Sarah, was when your body says don't eat, that's exactly when you do need to eat. <laughs> I, I learned that lesson the hard way a few times. Yeah, it can be. It can be. And and being super focused on your targets, but flexible on how you get them in your body is key. So, right, right? like th- your yeah. race plan of what you're going to have may go out the window, but you want to have liquids, gels, solids. It doesn't matter. Get the calories in. And if it means you have to slow down or stop, that's one I've experienced dealing with debilitating heartburn and like uh, nausea is I literally knew if, if I kept going, I would kill my race if I didn't get calories in and water in. And so I had to sit down. And that's the advice I'll give my athletes if do not pass go until you've consumed those calories, because uh, it's just going to come back to bite you later. The third reason endurance athletes fail to cross the finish line would be um, failure to take care of the little things before they become big things. 
Um, and so that's right. That's self care is what it is. Um, and that can be across the board. That could be, Oh, I can, I know there's something in my shoe or my socks folded over in my shoe, but I'm just going to ignore it till the next aid station. And then, Oh, I'm going to go through that aid station because so-and-so just left and I don't want them to leave me behind. And I'm going to just keep ignoring that. And all of a sudden I have a hole in my foot and the race is over, (laughs) or, um, it could be a thought that's starting to spiral, right? It could be a mental black hole you're starting to go. And if you don't stop and take action, respond and adapt to that scenario, then that could turn into a big thing. It can be nutrition. It can be a little niggle or a little cramp that you don't stop and address with balancing out your nutrition. But yeah, those are the top three. And um, yeah, so it's all about controlling the variables you can, right? There's so many things we can't, but when we take care of of the things we can control, our odds go up exponentially. Sarah, you are a teacher. You're a coach. You have helped countless athletes, runners, cyclists, adventure sport athletes, multi-sport athletes achieve their goals. Um, You've given lots of mantras, lots of tidbits, lots of mental training tips. So I'm curious to know what things back early in your career um, someone taught you? What are some of the key things that you remember some mentor teaching you that really helped you along the way? Um, Well, what's coming to mind, I'm thinking of Allison Ty. She's the coach that I worked with most recently and to overcome, you know, obstacles in a sport that I knew absolutely nothing about. And I think, I think, you know, what rang true with her was, um, I don't want to say fake it till you make it, but basically like step into that role, you know, and this is something that I use to this day with um, uh, doing vision work, Um, but step into that role of that identity that you belong there, you know, Um, just because it's something new for you um, doesn't mean you don't have the capacity to even be a master in that new discipline. And so um, using using all of your um, resourcing to uh, step into that new role and believe that you, you, you're, you're allowed to be there. You deserve to be there and you can do a really good job there. And her motto I love uh, jumps out at me and it says, um, never grow up. It's a trap. And I fully I will take that with me until the day I die. I believe in play. I love it. With a passion. Yeah. So I love that. What's next for you, Sarah? I know Western States is on the list for this coming year, and we're going to be optimistic that it's going to be a go. Um, I want to hear a bit more about that, but do you have anything else on your radar or is that really the only thing? Yeah, to be honest, it is. That is my entire focus at this point. I have an extra year to train for it, and I'm going to train as if it's going to go. Um, and I'm super excited about that because my project is to train for it, to create and follow a mental training program, um, that's as detailed, specific, progressive, rigorous as my physical training program and, um, yeah, maximize and utilize the power of the mind to, uh, you know, make the most of this body and uh, what it can do. So that is my focus for sure. And it'll be my first 100 miler. And we'll see what happens along the way. I'm trying to do as many um, adventures for my training as I can before the snow flies out here on the island, because it's 
kind of a short season on the other side. There'll be a lot of snow here still up in the hills um, come come race time next, you know, peak time next May. So that is the focus, to be honest. So working on all of my um, limiting factors, which I don't like to call weaknesses, but all my limiting factors, and those are both in the mind. So limiting beliefs uh, in the body, um, the physical limiting factors. So yeah, that's what I'm having fun with. I'm focusing on that. So why? Why do you want to do states? I don't actually want to do 100 100 mile or 100 Ks are good. Um, But that's why I'm asking this question. (laughs) So it's the only one I plan on doing. But you never know once you jump into um, a new place, what the view is going to look like from there and what you're going to do next. But at this point, um, it's to test myself to to develop new tools. So to use my mind to push, you know, push and challenge my body to its um, potential. And of all the hundred milers, that's the one I want to do. Because even though it's ridiculous elevation gain, it's net loss. And I love running downhill. and It's hard to find one like that. And even though it can start in the snow, most of it's quite hot. And I love running in the heat. Yeah, so that's the one I want to do. And I know a group of friends that also want to come. So it'll be a real fun one to share. For those of us who aren't in the ultra world, can you give us a little background on Western states? Like, where is it? I mean, I gather it's 100 miles, but tell us more. So it's in California. And um, I, I believe it was the original ultra marathon that began as a horse race and Feel free to jump in, Kim, if I miss any details. But um, and no, I then, think you're right. Um, yeah, the one human ended up doing the doing most of the race on foot when his horse went lame, and decided, "Hey, humans can do this too." And so, ultra marathon, <laughs> the sport of ultra running, was born. <laughs> and so, I love that. Actually, I do think I do think JFK 50K was the first ultra, but. The first Western States miler. was the first hundred miler. Yeah, that's what it, yeah. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah the first hundred anyway, miler. Sorry to interrupt you. No, you got it. So first hundred miler, and mm-hmm. so it's got, it's really old school. It's got that feeling, but it starts up high, and go ends up going through canyons, and the, you know it's hard to get into because it's the most popular, and so they 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 do special races um, around the world where if you're the overall winner, you get a ticket to go into the race. And so the world's best uh, ultra athletes are there. So it's a bit of a rock star um, show as well of ultra running, which is pretty cool. And then we talk about needing crew, right? Because you you have um, supporters that meet you at the different aid stations, even though they are um, manned by volunteers. And then you have pacers um, for legs of the race. Most people do anyways, correct? Sarah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So you can have pacers that join you. Yeah. All right. So um, we have five questions that we ask everybody at the end of the podcast. Mm. And rapid fire, don't need to elaborate, just kind of short answer. So the first one is, what is your favorite mantra? Ooh, I have a lot of mantras. Well, the one, I maybe it's not my favorite, but I go with whatever comes to mind. And it's pay now or pay later. And it's a training mantra because, you know, when you're just like whinging about going out in the rain to do your hill repeats or whatever's on the program and it's like, well, 
you know, you pay now or you pay later. Mm -hmm. Like at some point you're going to have to pay and it'd be way better to feel good in the race. Mm -hmm. If you could teleport tomorrow to anywhere in the world to run, where would it be? Ooh. Oh, wow. You know what's coming to mind right now is the Kalalau Trail in Hawaii, Mm -hmm. on Kauai. Oh, spectacular. Mm. Yeah. And you have been to some very beautiful places. Mm. Do you have any races on your bucket list, let's say, besides Western states? Mm. There's nothing in particular. I'm always up for an adventure. Um, But the Eco Challenge would be pretty sweet. Like, I still haven't done a full expedition adventure race like that over that many days. You never know. Do you have a favorite running book or podcast? Yes. Oh, what is the name? Dina, uh, Dina Castor, right? Run, let your mind, let your mind run. Yes, that's mine too. (laughs) Oh, yes. She, I mean, she's the only athlete that I found that almost wrote their entire book book focused from the mental Mm -hmm. um, strength lens. It's very rare to see. Um, and so that was very unique and so cool to see that through her eyes at that caliber of an athlete. Yeah, really neat. Couldn't agree more. Finally, what is your favorite post-run indulgence? Ooh, Mrs. Vicky's chips and a kombucha. <laughs> I'm so badass. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I awesome. That. Those are both great things. So what have you got on the go right now? Well, right now, um, when it comes to training, I've just been enjoying um, playing and a bit of a rebuild, but without any pressures. I took a bit of a break there during the um, COVID crazy crash, and uh, which was really good for body and mind. And so just been rebuilding getting a regular schedule going. And now I've got my training program together for Western States, which sort of starts this week and next week, which is exciting. Um, And then, yeah, besides training and well, which is really playing, in my opinion, playing out in nature. I also I mountain bike, which is great cross training and uh, really enjoy um, short and intense little strength training workouts I've been doing, uh, as well as I include um, yoga as part of my uh, physical training on a regular basis and then daily mental training. So through meditation, um, visualization and different training tools, including self-hypnosis. And uh, so that's sort of what I've got on the go for, for play. I'm trying to hit mountains every weekend until the snow flies, something new or something I can't do when it's snowing. Uh, So that's been a really fun project, uh, staying home this year, because there's all these different peaks that you never get to do, um, because you're always traveling elsewhere. So that's been wonderful. And uh, running my business. Uh, So I have Equilibrium Lifestyle Management, and we have uh, in-person group programs. They're all outdoor classes uh, in the Comox Valley here, as well as um, my athletes and health coaching clients that I work with one-on-one online. Um, and yeah, just, just, uh, really enjoying both the combination of working on the business and, um, expanding the offerings. So I'm going to be offering some uh, group online courses 
this year, uh, some programs that combine mental and physical training, which I'm really excited about, uh, as well as working in the business and doing the coaching that I enjoy. So I, I really like that balance I've got of coaching and creating right now. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you've recently um, um, become trained as a hypnotherapist as well. So you offer those type of services um, in addition to classic coaching, correct? Yeah. So um, it's actually a fusion. So now I'm working uh, with my health, fitness and performance uh, clients as a mind and body coach. So all of my clients who are ready to um, incorporate mental training in their programs are um, are able to access that um, online or in person here in the Valley. And so that's been really fun because that was my original vision. And over the past year, I've been working with a broader um, range of individuals uh, to develop my hypnotherapy um, practice and skill set and toolbox. And now I'll be working, um, focusing, uh, specializing in my field. And so that's really fun is starting to combine um, the use of hypnosis, which is just one of many mental training tools that we use in the sessions um, as, as a way to help my clients who are both athletes competing and individuals, you know, looking to thrive uh, in their lives and uh, reach sort of their next level. Um, Yeah, to incorporate both of those. It's really fun. Well, I think the theme of this podcast has been, you know, really how important the mental game is in, in not just in athletics, but in life. And like you just said, it's a fusion. You can't, you can't separate one from the other, although many people try to. Um, the, the sum is greater than the whole of the parts, right? When you put them together. So that's really exciting. I'm excited for you in this next stage of life. Um, where can we find you? Tell us where we can, you know, if any of our listeners want to connect with you, where they can find you on social media and, uh, if you have a website. Yeah. So there's a few places. Thank you. There's elmhealth.com. That's where all my, um, offerings are, all the course offerings. And um, wildseeds.com is my personal blog where I write a lot of articles. And you can find the, um, for example, the top three reasons endurance racers fail to cross the finish line. Those types of articles are there. And then on social, I'm wildseeds on Instagram and Facebook. And also you can find ELM Health out there. Um, Yeah, so lots of different places to connect. We'll definitely put the links to these uh, um, sites up on uh, in the show notes in case you want to check them out and learn more about Sarah and all the wonderful things that she always has on the go. Um, and you can maybe uh, look at, see if you can maybe take her up on some of her different um, services and go on an adventure. Go play with Sarah around the world. So thank you so much for joining us on our uh podcast today Sarah and we wish you the best of luck in your western states training and uh yes thank you so much Sarah this has been a fascinating conversation and I really appreciate what you're doing to inspire others to explore the great outdoors to play and to push their their minds and their bodies to places they never even imagined were possible so thank you for everything that you do and for your time today we really do appreciate it Aw, thanks guys. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Feels like we just sort of had a 
cup of tea, even though we're miles away. So thanks so much and best of luck with the podcast. I love it. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah.